What I want to talk about this morning is something that's been brewing in my heart for like the last, that, I'm, that I've been aware of for the last couple of years. And, and what's been brewing is a discontentment. And it's a discontentment in my faith. And don't worry, I, uh, what I mean is a discontentment in the area of I feel like I'm really busy doing a lot of good things. Uh, a lot of things in my life that are, that are uh, uh, driven by my belief in Jesus. My love for Jesus, my desire to please him, to follow his example, to obey him, uh, my desire to impact other people and, and uh, you know, for the better. But there's been a growing sense, and it's been like this, you know, it's like a flutter off on my peripheral. It's like that, something that's there, but I, when I look at it, I can't clearly see it. But it's been this growing sense that in my busyness, have I gotten off mission, and what I mean by, when I, when I say mission, is that God is a very missional God. All through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, all through the history of, of humanity, it's obvious that God has been on a mission, that he's been on a rescue mission. Uh, when Jesus came to earth, he had a very clear mission. The Bible says that he came to destroy the works of the enemy, to set people free, to rescue people, and then to invite people, really invite them back to what they were always tended to be uh, in a friendship with God, in a, in a relationship uh, with God. And, and where this brewing uh, discontent really bubbled over, really got my attention, was in January of last year. So January of 18, uh, in the vineyard, uh, each January, every vineyard church in the United States uh, fills out a census. And it was, my, it was my first time filling out the census as the senior pastor. And, you know, there's all these questions, and it's a way of tracking, like, how, you know, how are we doing as, as individual churches? How are we doing in lots of different areas uh, in, in our different regions? There's many regions in the United States. And then uh, how are we doing as a movement, you know, as a national movement? And on this census, they'd added a new question, uh, and, and at the bottom it said, basically it said, and hey, please send in a video of what you're doing as a church in the area of evangelism. Like, what are you doing as a church, both you know, purposefully, uh, strategically in your community that is focused on evangelism? When I say evangelism, evangel evangelism what I mean is, or what I'm trying to say, is where, you know, basically getting out into your community, telling the story of Jesus, telling how he's impacted our lives, and, in, and then inviting other people into a relationship with him. And I, I had to stop when I looked at that, and I thought, are we doing that? And then on a more personal level, like, am, am I doing that? Now, it would be totally inaccurate to say that that, that isn't going on, because I mean, I don't know all of you, but I know most of you, and I know that this is a very loving, very caring, very generous, generous very active uh, church, but I know for me it hit a nerve, and uh, it brought that peripheral uh, front and center, again with that question that, okay, I know I'm busy, but am I on mission? Am I on uh, God's mission. So instead of sending a video, I, I sent an email and I thought, boy, it's my first time reporting as the senior pastor. I thought this must have made a great impression. I basically emailed and said, well, uh, no, I'm not going to send a video. Uh, nothing to report right now. <laughs> Check back with me next year. And I thought they must think, boy, there's a real winner out there in, in Sunbury. But, um, but you know, uh, I know when we talk about evangelism, and depending on maybe the church you were raised in or maybe that word's new to you, but I know for many it, it can stir up uh, a negative stigma, 
right? Uh, we talk about sharing your faith, getting out into the community, etc. It can stir up a, a level of guilt. And I, I remember as a teenager when I first said yes to Jesus, when I said yes to, you know, to his mission and, and to following him, there was a, there was a Christian singer-songwriter that was very popular. I know many of you will remember him when I say his name, but remember Keith Green, like that, whoa, that's all I had to say. You're glad you came to church now. I said Keith Green. And Keith Green, if you're not familiar, younger people, you know, go to YouTube and check out Keith Green. Super gifted, uh, uh, really was a, a prophetic voice uh, in his time. And, but if you remember Keith Green, he, as gifted as he was, there were times where Keith Green would get pretty heavy-handed. He'd take out the old two-by-four and just let her fly. I remember as a young man, in the area of evangelism, there was a song that was very popular. Let me read some of the lyrics to you. This is what he said, and he's talking to the church. Do you see, do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you gonna let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Oh, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know, it's all I ever hear. No one aches, no one hurts, no one even sheds one tear. But he cries, he weeps, he bleeds, and he cares for your needs. But you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Oh, can't you see it's such sin? How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave, but you, you can't even get out of bed. Remember that, you remember that song? It's like, hey, do you feel lifted up right now? It's like, you know, thank you, sir, may I have another? It's like, wow, that's really, uh, that's inspiring, Keith. But let me, that's not where I'm going this morning. And really the picture I have this morning is like in a, in a, in a, in a sporting event where the coach calls timeout gathers the team in, grabs the whiteboard, and says, now you guys, remember the play. Remember the play that we've been teaching all this time. Remember the play that we've been practicing all this time? That's what I want you to do. That's, that's the heart of what I'm saying today. Uh, my goal is, is really, as I talk about evangelism, about being missional, it's to remove the pressure of guilt. It's to, to remove the sense of fear, of failure, all the negative stuff connected to, uh, to evangelism, etc., and to replace it with the excitement of God's invitation and with a, a greater understanding and sense of his equipping of you and I and his plan to, to use you and I. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll jump into what I want to say. Let's pray. So Lord, thanks for uh, your presence here. Just like JT was saying earlier, I, I, we love your presence. We love that, we love how, you know, just as we worship, as we sing these songs to you, about you, that uh, it stirs our hearts. Lord, it reminds us of who, whose care, who's, who's holding us, who's pursuing us, who loves us. And I pray that that sense, that that the, the sense of your presence would continue through my talk, Lord. I pray that there would be loads of encouragement, loads of invitation today. So we welcome you here in Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, last weekend, I, uh, uh, Helen and I got back from vacation. We were gone for about a week and a half, and, and while we were on vacation, I, I was thinking a lot about what I'm gonna say today. And uh, while we were away, uh, um, I was reading in the book of John, the gospel 
the Gospel of John. And as I was reading through, uh, you know, a, a passage that we're going, the passage that we're going to look at today, it literally jumped off the page and got my attention. And let me just say, as a side note, you know, in the vineyard, we you hear us say a lot. Well, God said to me. God spoke to me, and I know for some of you that, that, that kind of language frustrates you because you're like, God speaks to everybody but me. And what I'm talking about uh, is this is one of the ways that God speaks to us. It's, it's when we're reading our Bibles, and that's important. It's when we're reading our Bibles and you're reading through and all of a sudden a verse or a phrase or a word just poof, just jumps off the page. It just seems to, you know what I mean? It seems to grab your attention. That is God speaking to you. And that we need to pay attention to those things. So as I was reading through John, this jumped off the page, and I literally on vacation camped out on these verses that we're gonna look at today. So if you wanna turn your Bibles to John chapter 20, It'll be on the screens, but uh, your Bible, your device. We've got Bibles at the front, the back. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one. <clears throat> John 20, verse 19 says this. And we're, we're jumping into the, to the middle of a story, and I'll come back and get, give some context. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed, The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the title of my talk is is Sent Ones. And I'm drawn from what what I just read, that we, you know, if, if you... If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're here today and you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that you are a sent one. You're the one I'm talking to. And what I want to look at today, I want to look at three parts of our sentness, if you will. So number one in your notes is, uh, as sent ones, we have been sent with a living message. We've not been sent out empty-handed. We've been sent out with a message. It's a very real message. It's a very uh, alive message. And so now let me give some uh, context for the passage that I read, because we sort of jumped into the middle of a, of a, of a story. And uh, it says that the disciples were hiding behind locked doors uh, for fear of the Jewish leaders, or the religious leaders, and they had good reason uh, to be afraid. Um, you know, in the last probably week and a half of their lives, they'd been on a totally... Uh, total roller coaster of emotions. You know, about a week and a half prior to this, they were walking into Jerusalem with Jesus. Jesus was riding on a donkey, and Jesus was, uh, as he rode into town, was receiving a king's welcome. Remember the triumphant entry. Jesus is coming into town, and they're walking beside Jesus, you know, and they're like, we're with him, and we're headed for the White House, right? Because they thought, this is it. Jesus is coming. Here comes the king, and he's going to take over. And, uh, but real quickly, like a few days after that, it's the Last Supper, and the disciples didn't know it was the Last Supper, but their, their high point started to get a little shaken as, you know, after they'd eaten their meal, Jesus looks at them and says, uh, hey, one of you is going to, be, going to betray me. And like, what? You, us? You? Never. That's never going to happen, Jesus. And then things really start falling apart where just after dinner in the Garden of, uh, of Gethsemane, Jesus is arrested uh, Jesus is, is beaten and tried by the religious leaders. He's condemned to death by them and then uh, crucified by the Roman soldiers. And as they're huddled in this house behind locked doors, they've just had word from Mary that Jesus is alive. 
or at least that the grave was empty and that he's not there. And in this place, again, huddled behind locked doors, suddenly, I mean, just try to imagine this. Suddenly, Jesus just appears. He walks through those locked doors and just appears. And it's a bit of an understatement to kind of all of a sudden be there and say, oh, peace be with you. It's like, peace be with you. You just freaked us out, Jesus. I mean, that just seems like they're, you know, calls for a bit more. And and I'm sure when they're looking at him, they're like, are you real? Like, remember another time when he's walking across the water? Is that a ghost? Like, are you a ghost, Jesus? And I'm sure they wanted to. They wanted to, you know, they wanted to say, can we touch you? Because we're just not sure you're real because we saw you. You were very dead. We saw you dead. I mean, are you real, Jesus? And I, and, and I believe he knew their hearts. He knew what they were struggling, that they were struggling to believe it was true. And so in the story, Jesus basically says, gather around, friends. Look. Look at my hands. Look at the scars on my hands. Look Here, look at my side. Look at the scar on my side. Let there be no doubt that I was dead. Let there be no doubt in your minds, brothers, sisters, that I was murdered on the cross. But then he says, but, but also let there be no doubt that I am alive, that I am very alive. Come on up, hug me, touch me, you know, hear me. Like, you know, know that I'm alive. And, and it says that the disciples, as they saw Jesus, were overjoyed. I mean, just imagine, overjoyed. I don't think that captures it. They would have, just would have been mind-blowing joy to see him alive. And, and as I was camping out on this passage, in the context of being a sent one, a very encouraging truth jumped out at me. Uh, in like a verse or two, Jesus is gonna remind them, he's gonna send them out. And before, <laughs> excuse me, before he sends them out, he reminds them that they don't just have a message about someone who was. He reminds them uh, and he demonstrates to them in revealing himself that they have a living message of someone who is, someone who's alive. I mean, think about the disciples. I mean, what was it that was so impactful? What was it that so grabbed their hearts that they went on from this time, they went on to, for the rest of their lives, they gave their lives to telling the story of Jesus. I mean, what was it that so impacted them, that so changed them, that even when they were threatened by the religious leaders, the very powerful, very influential religious leaders, even when they were threatened, like you stop talking about Jesus, even when they were threatened, they wouldn't stop. What was it that, that, that so you know, gripped them that even when the religious leaders started throwing some of them into jail because they wouldn't stop, that they still didn't stop telling the story of Jesus? What was it that even when the religious leaders started killing them, that they still didn't stop? I mean, think of Peter. The, the story about Peter is that when he came to his time to be martyred, that when he came to his time to be crucified because he wouldn't stop talking about this Jesus, that it, the story is that he, when they were getting ready to crucify him, he, he looked at the, the Roman soldiers and he said, oh, no, 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 no. I am not worthy to be crucified the way my Jesus was, my Lord. Crucify me upside down. That's brutal. But what had so captured these men, these people? That, that What had so captured them that it caused them to not only live their lives, but give their lives? What changed them? Well, it's because they, they 
encountered the very alive Jesus. Because they encountered not just a story, not just a message, they encountered the living message of Jesus. That, I mean, he, he said he was gonna do it, and he did it. And they were never the same, and because of that, they spent the rest of their lives whoom, on mission. And you know, one of the things that jumped out at me with you know, this discontentment and my struggle, this question, am I on mission? Am I, you know, am I doing what Jesus said to do? Am I, am, I, am I sharing, am I telling, you know, am I sharing my faith? Am I telling the story of Jesus? Am I doing what these disciples did? One of the things that jumped out at me as I was away I was, was this phrase went through my mind, I lack motivation because I lack fascination. Does that make sense? I lack motivation because I lack fascination. I'm distracted. I'm more impressed with other things than I am, than I am with, with Jesus. And his sent ones, you know, the message we're sent out with isn't just a message of words, of stories, of teachings. It's also a message of a changed life because we've encountered the living message, Jesus. And fascination comes when you encounter him. Fascination comes when, when he reveals himself to you, when you hear his voice, when he becomes real to you. And you know what? I don't know. I don't know any way to force Jesus to reveal himself to me. But you know what I do know? I know ways to position myself for Jesus to reveal himself to me. And let me get uh, practical here. Uh, next weekend, I said JT's kicking off our 40 days of prayer fasting uh, se- uh, series. And as you came in and as you leave, there's little booklets, right? Little booklets for you to pick up. Let me encourage you to take advantage of this season we're going into, these 40 days ramping up to Easter. In those booklets, you have uh, daily reading and prayer guides. Every day, a little box, for, those, for little box checkers, people who love checking off boxes, you're gonna love this. But let me encourage you to take those booklets and let them help you each day position yourself in a place for Jesus to reveal himself for you, for you to encounter the living message. So, Jesus says, peace be with you the first time because he just freaked them out, but then he says it a second time to prepare them for what he was going to charge them with. So verse 21 says this. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So as sent ones, we're not only sent with a living message, we are also sent with a living example. A living example. So how are we sent out? Right, it says that Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Well, that tells me that you and I, as sent ones, have been sent out the same way Jesus was sent out. And as I thought about that, three things came to my mind. And here's what I want to quickly look at. Jesus was sent out with love, with guidance, and with a goal. Ding, there we go. Love, guidance, and a goal. So the first one. How are we sent out? On this mission, are we sent out like on our own? Is it sort of like, you know, you say yes to Jesus, and he's like, consider yourself <laughs> sent. Off you go. I mean, is that how he sends us out? No, that is not the way we're sent, because we're sent the way Jesus was sent out. So let me ask you a question. Think of the life of Jesus. What significant event happened in his life on the day that he was sent out. Baptism, 25 points, 30 points. He's a bass player. He needs them. (laughs) Oh, no, Matt. 
Uh-oh, I mean. But he's right. He said baptism, right? What happened? When Jesus was baptized by his cousin John the Baptist, it was the day that his father was getting to send him off on his mission. It was go time, if you will. And, and here's what happened. Matthew 3.16 says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love with him, I am well pleased. See, Jesus was sent with love. Right? God the Father, he's looking at Jesus, and he's like, Son, it's time to go. It's time to, time to do what I, what I sent you there to do. But remember, son, you're my boy. You're my boy. Remember, I love you, Jesus. Remember that I am so proud of you. And do you think that, you know, what that meant to Jesus to now move into this mission knowing that? You know, it made me think of when I was in uh, up until the time I graduated from high school, uh, and especially in the earlier years, but earlier years, but even as a senior, if ever my mom dropped me off at school, whenever I would get out of the car, she would say, "Remember, I love you." And I think back as a young man trying to be so cool, I'm not sure I always responded real well to what she said. But you know what I knew or what I remember is that meant so much to me. As I got out of that car, and you know school can be tough. School, you know, it can be a hard place. And, and, and that meant a lot to me as I walked into school to know that she loves me. She loves me. And, you know, we look at this mission that we've been called to and, and how the Father is, he's dropping Jesus off, if you will, to go into his mission. And just again, that, that, the word, those encouraging words. And you know, Jesus was constantly in tune, constantly communicating with his father. And, and I believe he didn't just hear those wonderful words once. I believe he heard them every time that he needed them. Don't forget, Jesus. All that he went through, all the ups and the downs that he went, to, went through, that God reminded him of his love for him, of his pride in him. And, and again, as Jesus was sent, so it is for you and I. As sent ones, we're, not, we're never alone. We are sent off with the same words, with the same affection of the Father. We, you know, the, the, our commitment to our, our yes to the mission isn't to earn any of those things. Right? The fact that God says this, to, says this to Jesus before he goes on mission should, should, you know, should gather, grab our attention. That before he did anything, before you do anything, the father says, I love you, you're my boy, you're my girl, and as you go out now, know that I am so proud of you. Now, unlike Jesus, or at least I know, and I, I know this is true about you, we struggle to hear those words, don't we? We hear more often, the, it's easier to hear the opposite of those words. But Jesus, you know, he heard them clearly. And, and so how do, we, how do we grow? How do we learn to hear those words? Well, let me, uh, again, being practical, let me refer you back to the first point. We need to learn each day to position ourselves, to quiet ourselves, to hear those words. So Jesus was sent with love, and he was also sent with guidance, uh, there's a story where Jesus was questioned about his methods and just the way he lived his life. In John 5, 19, this was his response. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, this, the son can do nothing by himself. 
He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. That's a great uh, uh, description of the mission that we're on. Jesus lived his life missionally. That means that each day as he went about his routine, not just when he was in the synagogue, right? It was every day as he's walking from one town to another, as they're out fishing, as they're sitting around the campfire, as they're going into town to buy hummus or to buy some new sandals or whatever they would buy, you know, that he was always on mission, which meant he was always expecting, looking for, listening for, trying to sense, trying to tune in to the Father's guidance. And uh, here's a cool way to, to describe what I'm saying. Listen to this quote. Those who hear not the music think the dancer's mad. Right? And this is uh, Frederick Nietzsche. And, and even though this, you know, Frederick Nietzsche, he, uh, he, I don't think he believed in God, but, but when I look at this quote, he unknowingly captured a beautiful truth. Those who hear not the music think the dancer's mad. Didn't they think Jesus was mad? Didn't his own family think he'd lost it? Because look at the way he lived his life. Look at the things that he did. He's spitting in people's eyes. He's, he's going around. He is loving all the wrong people. You know, the, the, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the lepers. Jesus, you know, you're a marketing nightmare, Jesus. You're, you're doing everything wrong. They thought he was mad because they didn't hear the music that he was dancing to. And when I talk about this music, you know, there is a song It's the song of the Father that is always being sung over every human being. And it's the heart of a father that is going after a lost son, a lost daughter. And it's it's nonstop. When you go to bed at night, the song is going. And when you wake up in the morning, the song has has been going as you slept. That song is being sung over, you know, over the Middle East, over all, you know, all the bombings and all the death and all the chaos that's being sung over Haiti. It's just all the hardship. It's, it's being sung over the inner cities of America. I mean, it's being sung over us right now. And it's the song of the Father that is, wants to rescue, wants to restore, wants to reconcile everyone to himself, and that is the song that Jesus was constantly listening to. And part of being a sent one like Jesus is learning to hear and respond to the Father's song, to the song of the kingdom. And you know, when we were away on vacation, we were uh, on a beach uh, by the ocean, a lot like Alum Creek, but uh, <laughs> not really. But uh, you know, we we're, were just spent a lot of time just kicking back. And, and one day I was, <clears throat> they had all these water stations set up along the beach to keep us hydrated. And I was walking over to get some water. And as I was walking over, I walked past this couple that the day before, Helen and I, we'd been lounging in one of the pools and someone was fanning my face. And no, that's not true. But I, but uh, we had this conversation. We just met this couple, real, real surfacey. Hey, you know, and we talked about different things. But as I went and got the water, then as I was coming back, I walked by this couple and I literally stopped because I heard the song. Because I just, like, totally intersected my thoughts. All of a sudden I heard these words, go and talk to them. And being a pastor, being a man of God, I just kept walking. <laughs> I just kept heading back. And, but I heard it again. And, I, and it was so clear that it stopped me in my tracks. 
And let me just say again, one of the ways that God speaks to you and I is through intersecting thoughts. You're driving, you know, to work. You're dropping the kids at school. You're, you're, you know, you're doing your job. You're, you're fixing a furnace or whatever it is you do. And all of a sudden, shoom, you need to call this person. You need to pray for this person. You need to, I mean, fill in the blank. I'm not saying every thought that intersects our thoughts is God. <laughs> no. But if the thought is a thought of love and of concern and of help, is that not the Father's song? And we need to pay attention. That's God speaking to you. So I listened, and I changed course. I went back, and I just walked up to this couple, sat down. And one of the, uh, I guess it's a, it's a good or a helpful thing when you talk about evangelism, whenever someone says to me, hey, what do you do for a job? That means when I, when I answer that question, I know that this is either going to extend our conversation or make it really short. I say, well, uh, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. But, you know, we had a wonderful talk about Jesus, and it was so easy. And what I mean by that is they led the conversation. And I went into that thinking, okay, you know, the Father's leading me into this, and here I come, you know, to, to, to bless these people. And you know what really happened? I got blessed. As I got up, to, you know, to leave, uh, this woman grabbed my hands and said, and just prayed this beautiful, I don't know if she would have called it a prayer, but she prayed a beautiful blessing over me. And it was like, you know, and, and it was so touching. And let, and let me say one thing about, you know, the Father's guidance. Because the, the guidance of the Father, there's two sides to this coin. And here's what I mean. Knowing that our job, that as sent ones, were sent like Jesus. Who, and, his, and, and Jesus, his goal was, his mission was to do what the Father showed him to do, right? Well, it's the same for us. The, the other side of that coin is that this also protects us from, a, of a, from an overactive conscience, from a savior complex. This, this protects us from unnecessary guilt or anxiety in the area of evangelism. And what I mean is in this whole thing of being guided by our father, do you notice that he just sent me to that one couple? He didn't send me to everybody on the beach, right? After I talked to that couple, I got up, I went back to my beach chair, I put on my headphones and I cranked up my classic 80s playlist. And, and see, that's important. That's important to know. We are not called to everybody, right? Each day, God knows you. He knows you. He knows your schedule. He knows the responsibilities you have. He knows your confidence level in you, but I think he'll stretch you beyond that. I guarantee it. But he knows you, and he's not sending you, you need to solve you know, world peace, get to work. He says, why don't you go talk to that person? Why don't you pray? Do you see what I'm saying? He knows us. And so we, as Jesus was sent with love, sent with guidance, we are the same. And God wants to teach us. Again, let me say this again. He wants to teach you and I as we go about our everyday lives, whether we're here or, or out there, teach us how to hear the Father's song, the song of the kingdom. Okay, I gotta keep moving here. Woo. So Jesus sent with love, sent with guidance, and then he was sent with a goal. What's the goal of this mission? Like, is the goal of this mission is, you know, uh, just go out there and be nice to people? Is that the goal of this mission? 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this. <clears throat> All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us 
the message of reconciliation. Now, if you're familiar with that passage of scripture and the verses above it and below it, we could do a whole talk on that, but here's what I wanna focus in on, on this. That is sent ones who've been sent with the living message that you know, Jesus is alive. I've, 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 I've experienced his presence, I've heard his voice. My life is different because of him. As ones who've been sent with love, sent with guidance, we've also been sent with a goal, and that goal is this, that through you and I, other people would be reconciled to God. Well, what does that mean? I mean, reconcile is not a word we, we used a lot. Here's the Greek word that, that was used in this passage. The word is katalasso. And look at, the, look at the definition of that word. What does it mean to be reconciled? To put someone into friendship with God. To be reconciled to God simply means to be restored to what God always intended for every human being. And that's to be connected to their maker. To be in a friendship with him. And so, so when I say that, <clears throat> maybe this is where for some of you the, <clears throat> the anxiety of the mission, the stress of evangelism, evangelism starts creeping in. Because it's like, okay, so you're saying my mission as a sent one is I have to go out and reconcile people to God? Like how on earth am I supposed to do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because that leads to our third point. <clears throat> So we've been sent with a living message, a living example, and the final point is we've been sent with a living power, a living power. <clears throat> it's important to note in that 2 Corinthians passage that it says that you and I, as sent ones, have been given <clears throat> the ministry and the message of reconciliation. We haven't been given the work of reconciliation and what I mean by that is the only way for a human being to be reconciled, to be brought back into a friendship with God, the only way for that, that, for that to happen is through Jesus. See, how, how was the work, excuse me, how was the work of reconciliation done or where was that work done? I'll give you a hint, it's right behind me. The cross, it was on the cross that the work of reconciliation was done where you and I as human beings, we'd sinned against God and our sin drove a wedge between us and him and, it, and, and the friendship was broken because of our sin. And Jesus uh, took on himself the, the, uh, the penalty for our sin. He paid the bill. He paid the price for the, he paid the debt that we could not pay. And when Jesus died on the cross and when he rose from the grave, that wedge was removed. And now, friendship with God is available. It's available to all. So, so the ministry of reconciliation, what we've been called to, is to go. It's to go and tell. Well, what do we, what do we tell? It's to tell, we go and we tell the message of reconciliation. That God is not counting sins, people's sins against them. He's not holding it over you. He's not holding the bill over you. Right? That, and, that, and that now, because of what Jesus has done, Friendship with God is available to all. It's a very expensive gift that God is offering, one that you and I could never afford, but one that Jesus paid for on the cross. And now it's available to all. And so this mission that God has given to all the sent ones to us is to go and tell our story of how friendship with God has changed our life. And through our telling, God will work in people's hearts and bring them to a place of being reconciled to him. It's that simple, isn't it? 
it sounds pretty easy. But, but it's not, is it? Because I don't know about you, but when I look at that and I go, okay, you've done the heavy lifting and really my part seems kind of small, but even my small part, your small part, still seems really hard to do. And God knows that. So let's go back to John 20. Look at how he's provided for us. Verse 21 says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The mission we have on earth is impossible for us alone. God knows that. We quickly discover that. And we need to be reminded that we have been equipped with the living power of the Holy Spirit to now continue the mission of Jesus. Uh, A well-known verse, we don't have a slide for it, Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus, some of his final words to his followers was, hey, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And for what purpose? Does the Holy Spirit come on us so that we will be healed of all our diseases? Well, no, no. Some are healed, but many are not. Does the Holy Spirit come on us so so that uh, we'll be fulfilled, that this life will be totally fulfilling for us? No, that's not why. Although there is a joy found in the Holy Spirit that nothing on this planet compares with. Uh, did the Holy Spirit, has the Holy Spirit been poured out on us for the purpose that, that you know, our self-esteem would be lifted up? We'd feel better about ourselves? No, that's not the primary reason. Although the Spirit living in you, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit living in you constantly, constantly reminds you that you've been adopted as his son, as his daughter. So what was the purpose for the Spirit to be poured out on you and I? To be his witnesses. That's why we've received the whole, that's the primary reason why we've, we've been given the Holy Spirit, that we would live as sent ones. So let me, let me end off with a quote. Now listen to this. Jesus didn't go sit in the locked room with the disciples to make them feel better. He went in to get them out, to get them on mission, to send them into the chaos and anger from which they had locked themselves away. Isn't that a great quote? That he went in, not only to comfort them, but he went in to say, hey, hey, but there's a job to be done. I'm sending you out. And, you know, and, and I started ta- off by talking about this uh, brewing discontentment. And, and as I lay on the beach, just pondering this, these, these, these scriptures, and pondering this whole thing of being a sent one, I realized that my discernment uh, is rooted in this. Like the disciples... I'm off mission because I'm hiding behind locked doors. And for me, I wrote a list out. I'm hiding, hiding behind locked doors of fear. Like, what, what, what do I say? Where do I start in this, in, in this whole thing of evangelism? And, like, where do I start? I'm hiding behind locked doors of laziness, distraction, apathy, self-centeredness. I'm really good at that. Uh, I'm uncomfortable with some people. I'm afraid of some people. I don't trust some people. I think some people deserve what's coming to them. Hey, did someone write that in my notes? I think I did. Ouch. So what are your locked doors? In the area of being on mission, of of doing the work that Jesus has given us as sent ones, what What is it that is getting in the way of you living your life as a sent one? Think about that. The mission of God calls for the people of God to go 
to go out into the world. And I realized to address my discontentment, I don't need more of God, but really God needs more of me. You know, and thankfully, God is able to walk through any of our locked doors. It's nothing to him. And he's able to come into that place of fear or whatever it is that you struggle with. And he's able to come in and and comfort us, reveal something of himself to us, and to remind us of the mission and to get us back on mission. And you know, when I think of this, when I think of, of us and this whole thing of getting on mission, I have great hope and excitement about this and for the days, months, years to come for us as a church. And, and the reason I have so much hope and excitement about this is this is God's plan. It's his plan to use you and I. It's his idea, so it has to work. It has to work. And I, you know, in January of this year, I was sitting where I always sit. I don't remember who was up here speaking, and I was listening, but as I was sitting there, all of a sudden this picture flashed into my mind, and I saw God... Again, it's a picture. I saw God working in this mechanic shop. And that means a lot to me. My dad is 84 and he still fixes cars. He's been a mechanic over 60 years. And as a little boy, I grew up running around a gas station, an Esso station. I don't know if they even exist anymore. You know, pumps out front and we had like three or four bays where cars would come in and I love the the smell of a gas station. um, But you know, I remember all the mechanics that worked for my dad had their toolboxes. Snap-on tools, right? And I learned something as a little boy. You don't touch, you don't touch somebody else's toolbox. Because I would be like, what's in there? What's in there? You just get lost, kid. Boss's kid. But, but in this picture, I saw God working in his shop, and he had the most beautiful, beautiful toolbox. Massive. And he walked over to it, and he grabbed this big drawer, and whoo, he opened it up. And what do you think was inside it? You. You were inside it. Pick him, pick him. You know, it's like, <laughs> but, but it was us. <laughs> that's a great, that'd be, okay. That'd be a great cartoon. But, but it was us. And here's why I have so much hope and so much excitement. Because you know, what, what makes a tool effective or not effective is determined by who's using that tool. And so really what God is inviting us into today, don't let the past go. Just let the past go. It's a brand new day. And what God is inviting us into is that we would just be available. That we would be available to him. Isaiah 6, 8 says this. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Why don't we why don't we stand up? So I uh, you know at, at the uh, last Sunday night we had our congregational meeting and I shared a little bit of, of what I shared today. And one of the things I said at that meeting we look back at 2018, we look forward at 2019 and one of the things I said is um, as I look into 2019 and, and beyond, uh, one of the things I see God doing in us as, as a church, as individuals and as a church, is he uh, wants to teach us how to live as sent ones. And you know, and I, and when I was on vacation, I was thinking, I just, one day I was thinking, what kind of church do we want to be? What do we want to be known for? 
And I, and I thought, you know, do we want to be like a popular church, whatever that would mean? And I'm like, well, maybe, depending on what we're popular for. Do we want to be an influential church? And I thought, yeah, I guess we have, I'd want to be an influential church. You know, do, do we want to be a mega church? And I'm like, no, I don't really want to be a mega church. But I remember all of a sudden this thought went through my mind. I thought, that's it. I thought, I just want us to be an obedient church, that we would be a responsive church, that in however many days, years God gives us on planet Earth, that we would live our lives as sent ones. And I, even as I say that, I just feel this, okay, we want to do it. I feel that. And I want to invite you, as we end off today, uh, I just want to invite you forward to get to, for someone to pray for you and bless you. And for some of you, I think it's important to come forward because it's, it's like that, who, who will I send? Send me, Lord. I feel like some of you, it's important to step out of your chair as a way of saying, send me, Lord. I want to invite you forward. I want to uh, invite some of you forward who uh, um, you feel that maybe if you look back, you feel disqualified from being called, and the Lord wants to wash that guilt away. It's a new day. It's a new day. You are a sent one, and he is sending you today. I feel for some, he wants to refresh your fascination of how awesome he is that he is alive. He is alive, and he's with you, and he loves you. Um, uh, again, if, if anyone here is sick, uh, we want to pray for you. So as other people come forward, just come on up and, and let someone uh, pray for you. Um, so Emma's going to lead us in a song. Oh, after Vicki says something. Okay, so um, I felt like the Lord was highlighting the word unbelief and I felt like that there are some of us here that are really struggling with their faith, that even though you may come to church and you may um, say you believe in God, and, and you do, but there's just something in you that you go, the Lord cannot accomplish in me the things that I read in the Bible. And I feel like the Lord just wanted to highlight that because if you think of the story in the Bible that says, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. It's the father who, uh, with the ill child. Um, what he was saying is, I believe, but there are things in my life that I struggle with that I can't embrace. And, but he's saying, confess that. And I think that's for today. I think he's inviting you forward to just put light on it. Don't hide it, because it gives the enemy ground to grow your unbelief. And we want to be a people growing towards uh, the Lord and getting closer. So I just encourage you, and you don't have to share a lot um, with things that you struggle with. Just say, I'm just struggling with my belief. And the Lord wants to, you know, when you say be a witness, yeah. that's a big stretch for you right now. But he wants to meet you in your unbelief and increase your, your faith in him. Awesome. Okay. So Emma's going to lead us in a song. Uh, come on up. Have someone bless you. And, uh, and then uh, in a little bit, I'll end the service. So come on up.